everyone, and welcome to the show. I'm Alistair Stevens. I'm Lonnie Diane Rich, and this is Dusted, your fevered and delirious Buffy the Vampire Slayer <laughs> podcast. Today on the show, Killed by Death, 18th episode of the second season, which aired on the 3rd of March, 1998, so almost exactly... 17 six, years ago? 17, 16... No, it's, the, it's 2015. It is. 17 years ago. Has been for a while now. No, I have a hard so time doing that. This adjustment. is great. Yeah. Until there's another gap in Buffy's airing schedule, we're, yeah. we're just going to stay like almost perfectly Pretty 17 much years 17 separated. Because we separated. released these weekly. They were released weekly. They were. Oh, oh no. Yeah. I guess we'll screw that up when we get to uh, Becoming at the end of the season. Yeah. We'll do both episodes Oof. in one show. It'll be fun to be almost ah. exactly. Though it feels a little celebratory. It does. So uh, it was written by uh, Rob Deshotel and Dean Batali, our little team who wrote such wonderful uh, episodes. <laughs> as uh, Phases, The Dark Age, The Puppet Show, and Never Kill a Boy on the First Date. And speaking of celebration, this is their last This script. is their last, We're yeah. sending them off into the world with this one. They've graduated Buffy. They get yeah. to go off and write on other shows, Go I guess. off and do other things. I actually don't know what they did. Which I'm Buffy. sure they did, but I didn't look it up, so I don't know. Maybe we'll take a few minutes at the end of the episode to, to talk about Rob Desotel and Dean Batali and sure. their contribution to, to Buffy now that it has come to an end. Now that this is it. This is the end. <laughs> this is our first, like, you know, people who've, who've contributed more than one episode that we're saying goodbye to you already I because think. they were such a fixture yeah. you know we were, we were getting regular scripts from them for quite a while and, yeah. and some good ones you know there's yeah. some really good stuff in there i don't think anything beats the dark age i think that's probably their the dark age is definitely their high point yeah yeah, yeah. Very and, cool. and a really interesting writing team I think. yeah no they are uh, definitely and, and very interesting notable for their contribution to buffy and uh, if nothing else for some of the the silliness and the tonal divergence mm-hmm. that they've given to buffy yeah, no, through, absolutely. Through their episodes. Yeah. So it was also directed by Darren Serafian. Is that how we're pronouncing that? Bob Church? Sure. I don't know. Sorry, Darren, if that's wrong. Get in touch. <laughs> we'll fix it. <laughs> now, you look this up. This is his only Buffy directorial credit. This is it, but he's directed pretty much everything else ever in the history of all time. I got a real affection for, for the kind of journeyman directors who were working yeah. in, in network TV. They just go from studio to studio, and, and they're yeah. like, give me a camera and set me up, and they do the work, which I really like. It's yeah. Always, it's always something to be admired when when anyone in the creative industries yeah. just does the just work. Just does it. I got a, a, a lot of respect for that. Absolutely. So let's get into our breakdown. I should say, before we get into it, that this yeah. probably isn't going to be a terribly long episode. Killed by Death is kind of famously disliked yeah. by the Buffy faithful. Not really, I think, because it's terrible so much as there's just nothing there. There's just not a lot. Yeah, there's not a lot of there there. So, so we'll, we'll, I guess we'll just make do with what we can. We'll Let's just, yeah. <laughs> it could be a light week. This could be the shortest episode of Dusted. It, the listeners be, already know. You know, of it's going to be like it's an hour be and a half. Hour like hour. All we're going to get yeah, into some, some exactly. We're going to get into some minute yeah. detail and then run around the mulberry bush with it a couple of times. Previously on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Angel got dark, Jenny got got, Giles got sad, but Buffy got ready. We begin in the graveyard this week as the Sniffly Slayer strikes with a stake and gives Xander a glimpse of his own mortality right in front of the Richard Alpert Memorial now uh, I Mausoleum. Now I Every time Alpert shows up in the background there, I'm like, hey, I know you. I yeah. love watching Buffy this closely. I'm seeing all these things that I've never seen before, like the Alpert Mausoleum, which yeah. you know has always been there and will be there in many episodes as, right. as we move on probably until they strike that set and build a new one. Uh, the, the posters that are hanging in Jenny's classroom, you know, mm-hmm. there are all these tiny little incidental details of set dressing yeah that i'm now noticing because we're watching this show well, it's so really carefully. fun to pick up on those little details you know <laughs> i like it <laughs> but the alpert mausoleum is something i'm going to notice again yes and again. uh buffy is sick with the flu but she's sticking with the slaying willow and cordelia counsel her to take a break but she can't let angel kill anyone else and who should show up who should be summoned at that moment 
but the man himself. Speak of an angel and then he walks, right? There you go. Buffy and Angel fight and Angel knocks the sick Buffy to the ground. He's about to finish the fight when the others cover his head in a sack and ward him (laughs) off with crosses. Angel flees into the night and Buffy escapes as we cut to credits. Okay, does it for you... Ever, like, undercut the threat of a vampire when Xander can hold up just this big wooden cross and he runs away? (laughs) No, because that's one of... I'm comfortable with that being a part of the mythology. Yeah. Covering Angel's head in a sack, on the other hand, is up there with Joyce threatening Spike with a fire axe. I think... I don't know. I think covering his head with a sack is is a very, you know, kind of, like, creative way to, to deal with the vampire. It's, it's kind of a wasted opportunity. I kind of... Because we're doing this thing. You know, we've got the slow burn through the mm-hmm. second half of the season with Angel tormenting Buffy. They have a great opportunity here to play with that, mm-hmm. to have him defeat her, to have him pin her to the ground. He could kill her if he wanted to. Yeah. And he just chooses not to and saunters off. Well, he's like a cat playing with the... Exactly. You know, with the mouse. Yeah, yeah. I don't there, know. There are, <laughs> literally anything is more interesting than having the Scoobies cover his head in a sack. <laughs> Uh, and frighten him away with crosses. I kind of thought that was funny. (laughs) you like that? (laughs) Well, you know, if somebody puts a sack over your head, you kind of, you know, even a vampire is going to be like, what the hell? (laughs) That's true. It does have the advantage of surprise. surprise. (laughs) (laughs) In all my years as a vampire, I've never had someone try to cover my head with a sack before. This is unexpected. This is new. How do I deal with that? It's kind of like the the scene between uh, You got to be scrappy. It's like the scene between Wesley and Fezzik in The Princess Bride. Oh, where Fezzik should easily be able to crush him, but, you know, he's been fighting groups for local champions. Exactly. Fought one man in quite a while. The unexpected approach can sometimes yield dividends. Yes. We move through the credits, though. Let's leave that scene behind okay. where we should. Uh, we move through the credits, and in Sunnydale General, Xander and the others deliver Buffy into the tender care of the ER doctors. They diagnose the fever, possible fractures, and carry her off. I didn't think that the smackdown that she received in the cold open would have resulted in fractures was yeah we're now kind of faced with the possibility that buffy actually suffers fairly serious injuries on a regular basis when she's fighting vampires and she just heals so quickly that we don't make a fuss about them maybe you kind of wonder every time she walks into the library after we've had you know a vampire fight in the cold open and then the first (laughs) scene is her walking into school or walking into the library and she's like rubbing her shoulder or she's got the slightest limp you think well wait was that just a compound fracture that you healed overnight Are you at this point basically Wolverine? Was her shoulder dislocated and she just popped it right back in and then took an ibuprofen and went to bed? I have no idea. But yeah, it seems like, you know, when you bring her to the hospital and there's like possible fractures, I thought it was that she didn't. Because there was that whole thing with Ted when he hit her and the police detective was like, well, you know, I don't see any marks on you. And she's like, I don't bruise. So I thought it was that she doesn't really get hurt. Oh, no, I, th- I think she does bruise. I think she does bruise and she does yeah. get cut. She just heals really quickly. Really quickly, I think that's- yeah. And of course, you know, let's address it right off the bat here. The Slayer is sick. Mm-hmm. This is kind of an unprecedented thing. Yeah, I, I don't know where I got this impression and maybe it's in the text like somewhere along the way, but I thought the Slayer didn't get sick. I well, thought it was like a thing, part of her this magical... Slayer doesn't. Not yeah. to spoil, you know, the next five and a half seasons, but right. this is the only time that Buffy is really legitimately sick. We mm-hmm. see her sometimes under the effects of rituals or curses or right. you know, black Weakened magic of one sort or drugs or, or whatever, exactly. yes. Mm-hmm. But this is the only actual illness that she yeah. ever gets and it's a doozy apparently. Yeah. It's it's a really it's it's an odd step. It's an odd direction to take Buffy. 
Yeah. And it feels like just such an excuse to get her into the hospital and to do what is basically a bottle episode. Right. You know, mm-hmm. very small number of sets in this mm-hmm. episode. And you kind of have to wonder if that's, you know, a, a deliberate consequence of having these these grand, much larger scale episodes on either side of this one. Right. That when you uh, when you do your regular week to week, you kind of got to tone it down a little bit. Yeah. 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 Because between, you know, we, we have passion last week. We mm-hmm. have I only have eyes for you next week, which requires, you know, a lot more than the usual. Stuff, number yeah. of special effects mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, CGI treatments. Mm-hmm. This episode is low key. The limited number of sets, limited cast. You know, yeah. nothing particularly. Well, we'll get to the special effects in a little while. <laughs> <laughs> they borrowed the sweater from Freddy Krueger. I they mean, yeah, sure you did. know, you're doing what you can. The doctors carry Buffy off. Willow marshals the troops to call Giles and Joyce in that order. Worried, they're waiting together with Giles when Joyce shows up. The doctor tells them that Buffy's going to be fine, but they're going to keep her in for observation for a couple of days. She has some healing to do. No mention at that point of these curious fractures. Well, she did have one of her arms was like wrapped up or something. Yeah, so. she. but <laughs> it's it's odd because they just, throughout the rest of the episode, they treat it like it's the flu. Yeah. And no one mentions, oh yeah, she was also totally beaten up in a parking lot, you know. Well, exactly. And it seems like the doctor would have some questions about that. You would think so. Some well, questions I mean, for I Joyce, guess, if nothing else. You know, she, she fell down on a cement... <laughs> mausoleum yeah the, as know. everybody does exactly. or maybe and perhaps this is the more kind of metatextual answer maybe the doctors at Sunnydale General just don't pay attention to mysterious wounds and injuries well perhaps they've stopped asking questions because there's a certain point where <laughs> it if, doesn't really pay off yeah. yeah eventually there are answers you don't want to exactly. hear Buffy gets moved from the ER to her private room she's a little delirious and everything is adorable until the doctor says that Buffy's going to be there for a while at which point Buffy suddenly decides to leave very urgently. Mm-hmm. She begs Giles to tell the doctor about the vampires, but the doctor is too busy restraining and sedating her. Apparently, the flu knocked some of the Slayer strength just right out of our plucky heroine. Yeah, yeah, I guess so. It, it's kind of a difficult moment. Mm-hmm. Um, again, you know, <laughs> it feels like every episode we, we have a comment to make about Sarah Michelle Gellar's performances. Yeah. That's a really strong moment when she's mm-hmm. desperate and she's lashing out and she's being restrained on the yeah. gurney. Mm-hmm. It feels like that belongs to a darker episode. It feels mm-hmm. like that belongs to a more kind of, a, a more significant moment. Right. Than mm-hmm. just our, mm-hmm. you know, we're still firmly in the intro here. We're yeah. still moving through the, the opening beats of our episode. In a sense, we haven't even arrived at our inciting incident mm-hmm. yet. Um, it felt like a very urgent and desperate moment. And you really buy, I think, everyone's performance mm-hmm. through that. You yeah. buy Sarah Michelle Gellar's performance as this bewildered, desperate slayer who, who is suffering with this illness. You buy the, the support and the kindness mm-hmm. of everyone around her. And Giles being caught in this very difficult position between this kind of paternalistic desire to see his charge be okay yeah. and his need to kind of also you know keep up appearances. <laughs> like that too, where he's like, no, no. We'll take care of the vampires and like playing this. You have to humor them, you know. It's, it's really great. Yeah. It's really great stuff. Uh, Buffy is wheeled into room 343 and the others talk outside. Buffy hates hospitals, Joyce tells us, because when she was eight, Buffy was alone with her cousin Celia when Celia died. As we know, childhood traumas in fiction are generally very, very specific. Yes. If you witness someone dying in a hospital, you are frightened of hospitals. It's the only reason to hate hospitals. That's Anybody who's ever been in a works. hospital yeah. hates hospitals. <laughs> Everybody hates hospitals. Uh, do you want to talk about the Celia storyline now, or shall we 
wait to let's, get to let's, that later. Let's get a little okay. bit more in and then we'll talk about it. Giles and Joyce go to the nurse's station to make some phone calls and Joyce takes the opportunity to express sincerely her sadness over Jenny's death. Buffy's been down since it happened. She never gets sick, which uh-huh. is actually kind of a nice beat. Uh, particularly because when we close out passion Mm -hmm. we have this moment of resolution from buffy that she's now ready right and here we are arriving you know Mm -hmm. i don't know a week two weeks later it certainly doesn't seem that much time has passed yeah given how raw the subject of jenny's death still is yeah uh it's interesting to see that buffy's been laid low by this affliction we have to kind of speculate that there's some psychological component that there's some thing happening with buffy that Mm -hmm. she's so beaten up by jenny's death uh and by her you know presumable guilt over Jenny's death because as we know Buffy feels guilty over literally everything yeah Mm -hmm. we can only assume that there is some psychological component that the reason perhaps that the Slayer has become vulnerable to this mundane sickness yeah is that she's 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 just worn out in general yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. it's 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 kind of sad there there is a real heaviness at Mm -hmm. the heart of this episode which is entirely appropriate coming off the back of passion yeah Mm -hmm. and is entirely inappropriate considering how silly most of this episode is Mm mm-hmm do you think that's a fair? <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't really think of this episode as terribly silly or terribly much of anything. I'm kind of <laughs> you have less to say about this episode I than have, probably I don't any have episode a lot we've covered. Of, like, yeah, there's there's not a lot in this episode I feel like you can really grab onto and and you know well, dive into. So we have to hold to the small quiet moments. And yeah. you know, there is a nice small quiet moment here. Mm-hmm. Joyce behaves like a human being when she expresses she is, she's very to sweet to Giles. And mm-hmm. Giles has this great kind of moment of oh god of of, of complex emotional response. You yeah. know, he's mm-hmm. he's clearly touched by the gesture. He's also clearly not at all interested in talking about Jenny right, right. now. Mm-hmm. Those wounds are still very very fresh. And we mm-hmm. get a couple of hints of that as we move through the episode. Mm-hmm. This episode really is all about the small game. It's yeah. all about these quiet little moments. It's all about the character stuff because the main plot is as you say, you know, rightly so inconsequential. Yeah. Um Xander, Willow and Cordelia are talking outside Buffy's room. The hospital doesn't have a great reputation for cosmetic surgery. We're Told, at least among Cordelia's friends, though I can't imagine that many of Cordelia's friends go for cosmetic operations in Sunnydale general. Right. You know, you think would... there's probably some clinic. Yeah. You know, that, that, that or they would Switzerland. Go to. Although, who knows? In a one Starbucks town that also has an international airport and a major dock, who knows what, <laughs> who what knows resources are what options are available? Right. Um, for the, the housewives of Sunnydale, yes. Right. <laughs> they're more concerned right now that Buffy is in a public building and thus vulnerable to Angel. Well, Xander and Willow are more concerned, at least. Cordelia can't stop talking about that thing on Buffy's face. You know, you know that, that thing? thing, right? Is there a thing on Buffy's face, and I just didn't see it? No, it's or is so that perfect. what she's joking it's around? So okay, <laughs> am I the only one who sees that it thing? Is so it was kind of cute. Yeah, it's the first of many mm-hmm. awesome Cordelia moments mm-hmm. in this episode, uh, and it's kind of nice because perhaps the, the main plot is so unfocused. Mm-hmm. We get a lot of Cordelia at her very, very best in this episode. Um, and and when I was talking earlier about you know celebrating the small moments, yes, <laughs> luckily Cordelia gives us a lot to celebrate. Um, <laughs> that night, Buffy waits from her drug-induced delirium to see a little boy standing in the door of her room. He walks away, but is immediately pursued by a legally distinct and definitely not actionable (laughs) Freddy Krueger-looking dude. The demon chuckles at Buffy and passes on. She rouses herself from her bed and goes to investigate, but as she walks down the hallway, we get a flashback to young, dark-haired Buffy peering into a private room. But the flash is over before we see what she discovers, and Buffy is suddenly back in bed. The doorway is empty, and all is well. Okay, now this is significant. 
Because yes. this is the moment that proves to us that Buffy dyes her hair. Um, this is one of the things, honestly, the big conversation about this on the internet always goes back to, well, in Killed by Death, you yes. know, um, she had dark hair as a kid. So that proves that she's not a natural blonde. Why that's significant, I don't know. But I do like specifically remember seeing that argument on the internet about this episode. I've seen that argument on the internet, not while we've been doing Dusted, but, mm -hmm. you know, depressingly yeah. recently. That when has Killed been a by major Death gets storm. mentioned, yeah. this is why. This <laughs> is the only part of this episode that is even remotely, and I wouldn't consider it to be like, you know, consequential. But this is the thing that like when people talk about Killed by Death, that's why they talk yeah. about it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's unpick what happens in this sequence just a little bit because it's going to kind of inform our understanding of the rest of the story. Buffy wakes, she sees the boy. That boy is a real boy. That so boy is a real boy. she definitely does see him. Mm -hmm. She sees the demon, you know, spoilers for the rest of the episode, right. there really is a demon. There's a demon, yes. <laughs> she gets out of bed and pursues them mm -hmm. and we cut to the flashback, which is, you know, we're, we're getting this parallelism in the yes. storytelling mm -hmm. here. But when she wakes, she's back in bed. Yes. So she never she, got up in the first place. Did she dream the whole thing? Because she's did she, she has see prophetic Ryan dreams at all? Well, just because she saw a kid that exists doesn't really mean anything because her dreams have been shown she has time and again dreams, to be yeah. prophetic. So um, uh, my read on this has always been that she was uh, that she saw um, she saw the kid go by. Yeah. She saw you know poor man's Freddy Krueger go by, <laughs> and then she went to sleep and dreamed the rest of it. Dreamed that she followed dream that she that's that's really interesting that's that's kind of where i divide it in my head canon but i don't know what it really my is. take on it watching it now is that she dreams the whole thing because mm -hmm. why is ryan wandering around the hospital hallways <laughs> admittedly security in this hospital inordinately lacks yeah. Why is Ryan? Willie Garson's the adorable, hallways? but not a good. We're going to talk about Willie Garson. Oh, Willie Garson! <laughs> I've never been so happy to see a supporting actor. No, seriously, I he's, always like he's him. Just great. Yeah, and I didn't recognize. Well, we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> let's make this the Willie Garson episode of, of, of Dustin. Let's. <laughs> um, I don't know why why uh, why Ryan would be walking mm -hmm. around, and I don't know why Der Kinderstadt would be stalking Ryan down the hallway. Right. Neither of those things seem consistent with what we learn of those characters later. Mm -hmm. So I think she dreamed the whole thing. I think this is her her slayer power kicking in. Now awake, Buffy gets up, pulls out her IV, and walks once more down the hallway, looking into the rooms as she passes. She passes a doorway only to be observed by an ominous-looking security guard, yeah. who was a little indistinct in that moment, but mm -hmm. we'll get to him later. A young body is wheeled out on a gurney as an orderly says that he really hates losing the young ones, whereas presumably he's completely okay with losing the middle-aged ones. Oh, yeah. Uh, Buffy peeks into the children's ward where two doctors are talking in hushed tones about some kind of experimental treatment being tested on the kids. When she turns, a boy and a girl are standing there. They tell her without preamble that he comes at night. A specter, invisible to adults, is stalking the hospital and will return for them. When Buffy asks who, they reply, death. Mm -hmm. Interesting stuff. It is kind of interesting because uh, kids, do kids... I mean, I guess everybody's familiar with the, you know, hooded, sickle-carrying, you know, death. Yes, the Grim know, Reaper aspect. Archetype, of, yes. yeah. But this guy doesn't look like that. So these kids just call him death. I mean, it feels like a weird kind of sidestep. It's the first of a few. Yeah. yeah. Um, we also get a major piece of misdirection from Giles later mm -hmm. in the episode, um, yeah. which is, is so purposefully misleading. 
Yeah. That I kind of, when I meet Rob Dezotel and Dean Batali at some Buffy con in like 2020, <laughs> right. I will shake them by the hand and thank mm-hmm. them for their work on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And then I will, you know, slap them in the face for the massive piece of, of fey misdirection in the middle of this episode. We'll get to that in due course. Uh, we cut back to the waiting room as Angel enters, holding white roses and jauntily whistling Ode to Joy. Mm-hmm. Xander stands in his way, but Angel is unimpressed. Xander can't stop him from killing Buffy, but Xander's not the only one there, and he strapped on his big boy pants this morning. Yes. He doesn't move an inch. Until, with a smirk, Angel leaves, but not before taunting Xander for still loving the Slayer. So we're hitting that note again. We're hitting that note again. I, I don't want to... The whole Xander Buffy thing, as we've said before, is Needs it doesn't go die. anywhere. It doesn't have any weight. Yeah. It's insubstantial. And much more importantly, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Because what we have here is maybe Xander's finest moment to date. Well, you know, he's standing up. He's got those big boy pants. They might be a little soiled at the moment. But I mean, they're you know, he's <laughs> no, got them on. You know, it's funny you should say that. Yeah. It's exact, The moment that sells this for me, yeah. the moment that makes this feel like Xander and actually communicates his absolute heroism yeah. is the moment after Angel leaves. And he like... When you see how scared he was. Right. He slumps down. He runs his hand through his hair. It's this moment yeah. of real vulnerability. And you realize what this exchange just took out of him right it's it's a really great moment i love seeing xander i know i like seeing strength. xander in those moments too those yeah, are really good moments for him terrified he is of angel and right. how angry he is at angel yeah. too as we remember from mm-hmm. from passion uh and what's really great too is that it's not uncomplicated yeah the the <laughs> it's not even a b plot a c plot a d plot an mm-hmm. f plot somewhere <laughs> way far in the back of this episode mm-hmm. we have the continuation of this storyline between xander and cordelia yeah as it relates to Xander's, you know, mythical feelings for Buffy, mm-hmm. there's some very quiet work done in the mm-hmm. back here that I really, really appreciate. Yeah. Um, but an absolutely fantastic moment, a great scene, uh, and a great exchange. And God, David Boreanaz, again, yeah, just bringing the menace with no, Angel. He's really good. David Boreanaz has a certain, like, mildly cardboardish, cartoonish element to his portrayal um you know who he reminds but me he of? can really bring it when he wants to it's yeah. like brett dalton in mm-hmm. shield oh yeah. uh, minor spoilers i guess for the end of the first season of shield uh when ward is revealed to be a traitor a mm-hmm. hydra spy yeah uh, in the ranks of shield and his performance suddenly, suddenly goes becomes from being interesting incredibly two-dimensional and yeah. flat and affectless and dull and becomes this super rich and interesting and compelling yeah. performance. Yeah. It's it's really great. It's, it's, you know, nice to see Whedon dipping back into his bag of tricks. Yeah, absolutely. Because um, that's a trick that I could stand to see a few more times. No, it's nice. It's nice. It really is. We flash back somewhat unprompted to Buffy's youth, where she flies in as Power Girl to rescue her cousin from a pillow avalanche. Firstly, <laughs> pillow avalanche, the name of my new indie band. Yes. Uh, Power Girl, though. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is interesting. Is a thing. I didn't know this. You told me yes. about it. Yeah. No, Power Girl is is a DC character from the late 70s. She's an alternate universe of of Supergirl mm-hmm. uh who is canonically Superman's cousin. Power Girl is famous though for two qualities. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> her enormous breasts. The joke is uh she's she's she has this boob window. This yeah. 
That's that's actually what it's called, I guess. This this uh, cutout in the front of her costume, where her you know Superman S shield would be. Yes, there's just nothing but cleavage, acres and acres of cleavage. <laughs> the story, as I've heard it, was that when Power Girl was created by Wally Wood back mm-hmm. in the late seventies, he was concerned that DC editorial wasn't paying any attention to his work at mm-hmm. all. So he created this character with this fairly salacious boob window in her <laughs> costume, and then issue by issue, and in some cases, scene by scene <laughs> enlarged her breasts every time he drew her oh my god just to kind of prompt a just response to see if anybody was watching it took a year apparently <laughs> according to the story as i've heard it it took a year before anyone from dc editorial said wow. what the hell are you doing wow by which time power girl was basically two enormous breasts with a superhero attached <laughs> And that has remained a kind of fundamental part of her characterization yeah. to the present day. And recently we've had this brilliant run of Power Girl comics mm-hmm. where uh, that uh, her, her ridiculous, you know, voluptuousness mm-hmm. has kind of been owned by the character. It stopped being a joke mm-hmm. and it's been something that she is, you know, rightly proud of and, and you know, mm-hmm. um, happy to, to assert. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's a really interesting piece of obscure fiction. It's a nice uh, point of comparison that Buffy, you know, one of the more kind of flat chested, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, leading women that you'll see on, on network television. Or, you know, hardly flat chested, normal chested, you know, but, I mean, I think she's still even flat, a little buxom for her frame. Flat but. as a board compared to, <laughs> compared to the kind of characters right. that you would see in that role on TV. You Fair know? enough. She's no Xena. Yeah. She's absolutely. <laughs> she's, she's no Faith. I yeah. mean, no, true, true, it, it, true. It's still, even even within the bounds of Buffy, mm-hmm. she's she's you know fairly modestly endowed. Yeah. But I just found it really interesting that that that's a character beat about Buffy that yeah. she also. I'm sure she wasn't thinking about Power Girl's wreck when right. she was role playing Power mm-hmm. Girl back in the day. But I love that it's such it's such a deep and specific pool, and it reminded me of uh, back in Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered, mm-hmm. the X Men 2099 poster on Sandra's bedroom wall. Yeah. There is a love of obscure comics lore mm-hmm. because the expected beat is that Xander's going to have an X-Men poster or a Spider-Man poster on his wall. Right. Not mm-hmm. this weird offshoot of X-Men. Yeah. Similarly, Buffy should be playing Supergirl. There's no reason why she's not playing Supergirl. Supergirl mm-hmm. is the hero that Buffy would actually have heard of mm-hmm. back in whatever this is, the early 1980s. Well, back in, yeah, an eight-year-old in, yeah. in that time frame. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that no, she would have heard of. Power yeah. Girl. Yeah. Kind of no, that. it's interesting. I like the way that Whedon pulls from these, you know, obscure uh, places in, in comic book lore. Yeah. You know? yeah. it's no, it's, it's really, really rich. We cut from that flashback to another flashback to young Buffy in the hospital room. She draws closer to the curtain and pulls it aside, revealing her cousin lying in bed. Mm-hmm. We cut from that flashback to Buffy waking in the room as the doctor says good morning. Buffy's fever has dropped, but the doctor is surprised by the speed of her super slayer healing. Buffy asks about the kids she saw in the night, but the doctor is interrupted, presuming that the doctor was going to answer her about (laughs) confidential hospital business. The doctor is interrupted by the appearance of the full Scooby set. Xander brings flowers that look like balloons. Willow brings completed homework, the gift that keeps on giving. (laughs) Cordelia brings nothing, and Giles brings grapes. Yes. What can we infer about each of the characters based on their gifts? Well, okay. Xander had a gift. Yes. Uh, Willow had a gift. Yes. They made fun of Cordelia for not bringing a gift, and yes. she was like, nobody told me. Giles happened to be eating grapes, 
and no. use that as his gift. No, this is entirely representative of Giles's character. He brings the expected gift. He brings grapes in a brown paper bag. Are grapes the expected gift when you're in a... Is this a cultural gap? Oh, yeah, apparently. Do you bring grapes to people in the hospital? This could be what a, is wrong with you people? Like, stereotypically. Blues, flowers, and teddy bears. That's what you bring. Stereotypically. You bring people in, in grapes? British fiction, when someone is in hospital, you bring them grapes. I had no idea that, <laughs> that culturally went right over my head. Are you telling be, me the truth? Are you making this up? No, I'm, I'm absolutely telling wow. you the truth. Wow. Had no that is, idea. That is stereotypically what you bring people. Why is that? And I, I don't know. It just is. The magical That's, healing so it, because it you can't bring them wine because the doctor won't let you bring wine, so you bring <laughs> <Right>. grapes. <laughs> you say, these are proto-wine. Exactly. Just hold on to these for a while. Yeah. I, I, it didn't even occur to me that that was, that that was a cultural distinction. No, I thought he just happened to be eating grapes, and then after they gave Cordelia such a dressing down, he was like, D- uh, "Grapes." <laughs> you know that could be it. If, no, if that is it's the case. too much. It's too much. It's too much. He's British and he's bringing grapes, and if that's a thing that happens in the UK, then okay. Um, yeah, that's, no. that's a beautiful but it's, piece but it's of interesting, cultural specificity though, because I could, you know, it worked and both it works yeah, on yeah. both levels. Yeah. You know, however you you read that, but now I know this whole thing about grapes. That's the weirdest thing. There you go. I never. You, you live and you learn here. I got. I got to find out how that got started. <laughs> how in the world do you get started bringing people grapes in, in the hospital? So Cordelia doesn't bring a gift because no one told her that Wait, she was. Wait. So in the gift stores at the hospital, do they have a thing of grapes? <laughs> yes. They have a little grape yes. counter. Yes. I'm. You're, I'm you're blown away. This. this is no. the most surprising thing we've learned. I no. think. No teddy bears and and flowers well, and balloons. The gift shops That's what have you teddy bring. bears and flowers and and, and but also and, grapes. Yeah. That's crazy. It's 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 so stereotypically true that it's almost a cliche. Wow. I Which love is, when I learn something so completely new that I never had any knowledge of before. That blows my mind. But it's why it reflects so beautifully on Giles, because he brings, of course, the gift that he's expected to bring. Right. But now I think I, I'm not certain that you're not right. I'm not certain. That's... No, abs- there's no way. That's too much of a coincidence. There's no way they just happen to pull grapes <laughs> out of the air. It's, you know, but to me, it read that after Cordelia got, you know, all the, the dressing down, he just, you know, handed over, handed over his snack. Yeah. What do we make of, I mean, Willow's gift is obviously you know the most thoughtful the most considerate exactly she she's the Buffy leslie the nope of this yes. of this crew she knows what the perfect <laughs> gift is <laughs> she absolutely is the leslie nope of the scoobies well now we have to do a buffy parks and rec mashup oh that yeah. clearly needs to happen xander though is the one who i felt half-assed his gift a little bit well, uh, I, I feel like he wanted to bring flowers and then he saw some balloons and was like, eh, good enough. Yeah. Good or, enough. you know, are flowers too romancy? Here's my girlfriend, but I'm bringing flowers for this other girl. So well, it's not yeah. as though he's shy about well, expressing. It's not as though, exactly. He's ever, you know, real thoughtful about Cordelia's feelings. So. The Scoobies take Buffy outside in a wheelchair and she fills in the details about the children. Buffy fears that something is amiss in the hospital and wants to investigate, particularly the older doctor, who she identifies helpfully as Dr. Backer, presumably because she has an epi- uh, a copy of the episode script. Yes. <laughs> His name is not given. Because we the haven't of the established show. that, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but Dr. Backer, we're told. Eh, whatever, uh, yeah. Cordelia, though, has another theory. This is trauma caused by Buffy's childhood experience. Giles chastises Cordelia for her lack of tact, but Cordelia Cordy gets the best line of the episode. Tact is just not saying true stuff. Which is my favorite thing about Cordelia. Yeah. Is that she says what's true. And she's not dumb about anything. These are all astute observations, but which other people are not making because they are being polite. No, we're um, getting this yeah. enormously rich and... and, and 
I don't know, forward-looking depiction mm-hmm. of Cordelia. Yeah. This, this really great take on her character. That's no, been I love her so much more. Like, I I never was, like, huge into Cordelia during any of the runs through. I always, you know, she was okay. But it was never, like, she she starts out, you you imprint on a character in a certain way. She starts out as this, like, you know, snotty little bitch. And so yeah. you kind of, I kind of got used to her in that role. And I sort of read everything, you know, the way that Z- Xander continues to be completely rude to her, despite the fact that she is really kind of awesome and you would think at this point he would be completely head over heels with her and like um not thinking about any other girl ever because she's amazing you know no, her her awfulness like her promiscuity is really informed is really informed point, because yeah. she's basically just incredibly awesome which is why it stands yeah. out when anyone agrees with sander about right. his take on Korea, right it's you know? it's scavonian in it, essence. it really is it but really when is you know this time through really paying attention to cordelia she has proven herself the same way with joyce joyce has proven herself to be like a terrible <laughs> joyce parent. has disproven herself exactly yes. <laughs> it's so it is so funny it's like I'm, I'm taking a closer look and everything is different this particular run through buffy has been eye-opening so many of my assumptions about how bad yeah. season one was about how great Joyce was, about how great Xander was, who is, I still love Xander, I'm still pro-Xander, but he's definitely a lot more complicated than I remember. It's gonna be, and Cordelia. It's going to be really interesting when we move on and we arrive at some genuinely controversial characters yeah. in Buffy. Uh, we'll see how those yeah. present themselves to us in, in, in this frame. <laughs> Buffy rejects the idea that she is making things up, Mm -hmm. uh, because why wouldn't she? Mm -hmm. There's something real going on, she said, and Buffy is going to do her thing. Xander offers help, which leads immediately to he and Cordelia breaking into the hospital records room. We just don't waste any time. He says, sure, we'll help. Oh, okay. I'm breaking open a lock. Uh, Paper records in the hospital room, which is adorable. Cordelia chafes under her commitment to help Buffy, but she barely has time to open a cupboard before a security guard apprehends her. In the library, meanwhile, Giles isn't sure there's anything they can do. Cordelia, we're told, may be hermetically insensitive, a beautiful (laughs) turn of phrase, but this whole thing may be in Buffy's head after all. Death cannot be fought, but demons can on a weekly basis. Besides, a demon that can only be seen by children, preposterous. Except, children seeing a demon that's masquerading as a human being... Well, that makes much more sense. Mm -hmm. Giles also has a copy of the script, so the creepy Dr. Becker gets a first name. Stanley. Stanley Becker, M.D. We're coming for you. That sounds like something that, uh, like, Jack Klugman would have starred in in, like, the 70s. That's what I was thinking. Doesn't it? Yeah, there you go. (laughs) There's a whole other TV show happening Mm -hmm. in Sunnydale General right now, and Mm -hmm. Stanley Becker is absolutely the hero. (laughs) This is the grim finale where he ends up dead. Right. uh, So this is the piece of misdirection that Mm -hmm. I was talking about earlier. Uh, Children seeing our true faces. Mm-hmm. Uh, kind of takes the idea of the you know the perception filter, the Doctor Who esque perception yeah. filter, mm-hmm. or the Douglas Adams esque somebody else's problem field. Right. Uh, this idea <laughs> that that the residents of Sunnydale just don't see supernatural occurrences because they filter them out. Mm-hmm. That takes that idea and adds this new twist that children are actually much more perceptive, can see through these disguises mm-hmm. and see the real face of evil. It's a horrible piece of misdirection. We get all of this suspicion of Dr. Backer. Right. That leads us nowhere. Mm -hmm. That leads us absolutely and precisely nowhere. Right. Mm -hmm. And Giles offers this half-assed, half-hearted explanation. Right. Just so that we have some motive force to get us through the next arc of the story. Yeah. Because there's probably an invisible demon in the hospital. Doesn't get us there, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. It's it's kind of shaky plot work. 
Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of these things where they like to have a red herring so that later on you can be really surprised when you're like, no, well, this makes perfect sense. Obviously, Giles is right. Oh, no, there is really a, you know, poor man's Freddy Krueger running around. And Buffy was right all along. And that's supposed to be like this big surprise and shocker. And you instill this level of doubt in, in Buffy. Like, do we believe Buffy? Do we not believe Buffy? Is she a reliable narrator? Yada, yada, yada. Um, but that's not the story that we're doing because we have seen the hmm. demon. We have, but through Buffy's perception, right, but through Buffy's fevered perspective. <laughs> but everything's, everything's through Buffy's perspective. We're not going right. to... The twist at the end of the story is not going to be, oh, actually, Buffy's just sick. Yeah, actually, Buffy's just insane. Yes, yes yeah. exactly. We may address something like that in the future. Yeah. Or there may be discussions you know, in mm-hmm. that direction at some point, perhaps, through the run of Buffy. But this is not that kind of yeah. episode at all. Cordelia, meanwhile, is being flirted with by the security guard, who we now realize is the brilliant Willie Garson. Willie Garson, yes. Who played Stanford in Sex and the City, mm-hmm. who played in White Collar. I loved him in White Collar. Who played Martin Lloyd in, I think, three episodes of Stargate SG-1. Wow, that is a deep is pull. brilliant. And th- they are huge landmark episodes built yeah. around this character. Uh-huh. Uh, and he is just fantastic. He's wow. just fantastic. Um, he's basically been in every TV show ever. 149 credits on no, IMDb. he is a working actor. Again, yeah, let's is. hear it for the journeyman. This is a man who works for a living. And I like him a lot. I have always found him charming. Like He's he, great. Here he is as the security guard and the second I saw him I was like oh Willie Garson like I <laughs> I will never feel threatened by Willie Garson there is no like person in television who is more comforting on the screen you see Willie Garson and you're just like oh but he <laughs> brings a real kind of earnestness yeah because it would be easy to I mean the security guard here he is unnamed yeah. in, in, in Buffy mm-hmm. the security guard is kind of the butt of the joke, mm-hmm. but he's not a ridiculous figure. He's more no. slightly sad. Well, and I mean, he's getting attention from a girl like yeah. Cordelia. That's a, that's a good day for him. It's a, yes, yeah. possibly the best he's ever had. Uh, <laughs> Cordelia is an expert manipulator and definitely extracts the truth about Dr. Stanley Becker, MD's patient, and his understanding of the truth about children. Sometimes they die. Wow, grim, Willie Garson, grim. <laughs> Xander makes a noise, but Cordelia distracts Willie Garson just long enough. I've got the guard written in my notes, but yeah. I'm just going to call him Willie Garson Willie all the Garson. time now. Uh, Cordelia distracts Willie just long enough for Xander to escape. Cordelia meets Xander in the hall a moment later. He's jealous that she got gropey with the guard. She's jealous that he's so fiercely protective of Buffy and that he looks at her butt. It's it, it's such a great beat. This is the story I was referring to. I love yeah. this stuff. Mm-hmm. Cordelia is so perceptive, and yet she's not the obvious kind of track to take with this is that she's just offended, that she's just upset. Mm-hmm. But the inference is that she likes Xander so much and yeah. she sees such value and is, you know, in conflict even with that liking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but she sees such value in Xander that she's she's just hurt by his yeah. devotion to Buffy or at least the lack of reciprocal devotion to her. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's really rich. I love yeah. it. Yeah. And the little beat where he... <laughs> kind of deliberately and consciously, but also, you know, enthusiastically watches Cordelia's butt as she walks on. <laughs> it's kind of great. It's kinda and great. for a moment is grateful for his fate. Like he just, he doesn't appreciate Cordelia enough for me. And I'm, I'm waiting for that to happen. I don't think it ever does, but his, his, it doesn't feel like he really appreciates her. Like he, no, he really, doesn't. you know, he, he doesn't see her. Has clearly. any sense of what good fortune he has that he has a girl like Cordelia? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah no, it's it's a great relationship. It's it's great character work, and it's real authentic conflict. Yeah, there's nothing mm-hmm. staged about you right. know, the, the difficulties mm-hmm. that they face as a couple. It's exactly. all very real. Xander's just much less into Cordelia than he is into 
I mean, the idealized version of Buffy yeah. more than mm-hmm. more than real Buffy, mm-hmm. perhaps. Um, I think this is this is part of the problem with this whole romantic connection between Xander and Buffy. There are two Buffys in Xander's life. Mm-hmm. One is the real Buffy, his friend, the Slayer, this person that he is loyal to and committed to, and will help. You know, at the drop of a hat. Yes, that's the Buffy that he's primarily interacting with through the span of this episode. Mm-hmm. But the other is this idealized, you know hot girl who showed up in town one day and and brought hell with her Mm -hmm. and that idealized buffy i think is the one that he pines after yeah it's much less you know the reality of buffy summers and much more this you know hot blonde kung fu mama who came into town one day well he's also xander is very much into the girl he can't get Oh, yeah. If he can't yeah. get somebody, <laughs> then he's interested. Yeah. Uh, we cut to Buffy wandering the poorly lit hallways of the creepiest hospital in California. <laughs> she finds Ryan, who she also knows by name because of the script, and he is drawing a picture of a familiar looking demon, kind of fangy, kind of hatty. Where have we? Oh, it's okay. The show helpfully gives us a flashback to Buffy's earlier glimpse of the demon to make sure that we recognize him. Mm hmm. We don't use flashbacks in Buffy. This episode, we just can't stop. We had yeah. flashback within a flashback earlier. Yes, no, that was brilliant. Yeah. A flashback to something that happened literally 10 minutes ago. Well, I think that possibly they were thinking that this is the week everybody's going to be smoking weed during the episode. <laughs> And they might need a little extra help. I think they went to Costco. They got the big box of flashbacks because they weren't sure how many they would need. And well, you don't want you know, those things going off. You have well, to use them. It's not them like they go bad. Day. Right, exactly. Um, <laughs> The, the big box of flashbacks. Yes, the big box of flashbacks. The flashbox. <laughs> Ryan tells Buffy, moving on from that, Ryan tells Buffy that the demon will come again tonight, but Buffy reassures him she's a real hero that fights monsters. Ryan replies that you can't fight death. It turns out that one of the symptoms of little kid flu is this hipster fatalism. <laughs> Nothing really matters, you know, Buffy. We all die in the end. Uh, these crayons just aren't as vibrant as they used to be. <laughs> My juice box doesn't taste as good. <laughs> we move to the library where Giles is playing his tape of ambient typing sounds while Willow clearly uses the trackpad on the laptop. I love this. There's the establishing shot as yeah. we move into the library and it's... Willow's hands aren't moving. There's just that's just that's just a sound effects tape that, that, that Giles is playing. Uh, they've uncovered though great secrets about Doctor Backer. He's got a history of risky procedures and a dropped malpractice suit. And moreover, he gives Buffy the Wiggins. Right. I don't know how many doctors in the world don't have a dropped malpractice suit on their record. And let's emphasize the dropped part of yes. the dropped malpractice suit. And experimental procedures mm-hmm. are how science is done. <laughs> You would think Giles of yes. all people would have, would a, have little a little bit of the scientific yeah. method. Yeah, well, because honestly, malpractice suits all the time. Yes. All the time. In and California. They, yeah. Sure. And the fact that it's a dropped malpractice <laughs> right. suit, like if it was something that was effective and there were a ton of people who are now walking around with one leg shorter than the other or whatever, you know, okay, fine. But like every doctor gets sued. That's why you have malpractice insurance because people sometimes look at doctors and see a payday. And right. so like that, that happens a lot, especially in, let's face it, are exceedingly litigious society. Exactly. You know? and, and pretty much the everybody, 90s, yeah. doctor or not, has been sued at least once. <laughs> so, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I find that just it, it is a little bit of a stretch to say that we're that just, makes we're him evil. Doubling down on mm-hmm. this idea that he's a real legitimate suspect, and it's this it's this desperate. Let's you know spend a serious chunk of our time on setting up a red herring that goes nowhere. Well, you know? and this is the problem: is that we oftentimes do this in Buffy. You know, we investigate the person who we think is responsible, mm-hmm. only to find out that that person is not responsible. It's a mystery. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, mm-hmm. there is a difference between the characters pursuing that line mm-hmm. because it's a reasonable rational assumption to make you yes. know because because they really have a motivation to mm-hmm. investigate mm-hmm. and the show the script the episode tap dancing to distract us from what's really going on right and mm-hmm. this is much more the latter case um mm-hmm. you wouldn't buy in any other episode Giles and Willow being quite so suspicious of this doctor at this stage of the mm-hmm, game. Mm-hmm. But instead, we're getting ominous music and we're getting tight close-ups and we're getting all of this, you know, heavy-handed right. exposition to imply that he's something that he's just well, not. And the energy you're spending on this red herring, you know, you could spend on Buffy's, you know, this the sense that do people have, do these people have enough faith in Buffy yeah. that they're going to trust her? Because I think that right. Cordelia's point earlier in the, you know, in, in the thing is that you can fight demons. Like maybe she's trying to make this into something that she can fight. And if she's the only one who saw it and she doesn't even see it now, you know, because yeah. she's not delirious anymore. Um, but she she knows it's there and nobody believes her. You've got an interesting thematic story to tell there about her relationship with her friends, about how much they trust her and believe in her, about how much this thing with Angel has taken out of Buffy, not just that she got sick, but that maybe her judgment is faltering. You get right. Buffy doubting herself during this. That's an interesting story. This whole like pseudo mystery thing yeah. that we have with the red herring, which is one of these things that people love to do. They love to throw in because you see it in mysteries and you're like, oh, well, now I don't know who it is. Who is it? It's the mystery. You know, if you're not going to tell an actual mystery, don't waste time with that stuff. Tell yeah. your story. Talk about the emotional arc for your your characters. And I think it's a, a really huge missed opportunity in this um, in this episode to be spending so much time dancing around a fake mystery. I think you're absolutely right. I think you're you're absolutely on the money there. This episode has all the potential to engage with those big thematic ideas mm-hmm. that Buffy, exhausted by Jenny's death, exhausted by Angel's torment. Yeah. I mean, we barely nod we're beginning toward to Angel's doubt torment. her judgment. Yeah, yeah. she she really is being beaten down by this, and we're seeing that Angel's plan is working. Yeah, you know, exactly. That, that rather than being empowered by Jenny's death as she was mm-hmm. at the end of Passion, we're now seeing the act consequence of that which is she's just losing the will to fight well and her friends think that she's lost touch with reality and isn't that exactly what happened to drusilla and wouldn't that be an interesting thing to see herself as you know drusilla number two and Um, and that that that's her potential her potential future based on this you know interaction with angel and all of that is baked into the episode it's all there you could explore those ideas pick it up and use it but instead we're too busy with, with okay, I, I'm not going to feel bad about the 30 second scene we get with Willie Garson because mm-hmm. that's no, pretty much I a high like point Willie of the episode. Garson, yeah. But we're wasting time with mm-hmm. suspecting Dr. Backer. We're wasting time with, you know, ominous shots of Dr. Backer in his office, which we'll get to in just a moment. Right. And mm-hmm. we're wasting time with these awful flashbacks yeah. that add nothing at all to the story. No. It's it's a huge well, except telling us what the real color of Buffy's hair is. Well, no, clearly that's which much more is important. very important. <laughs> is that consistent? What color was her hair in the picture of her as a young ice skater? She was blonde in that picture, wasn't she? 
I think she might have been. Remember we get that one shot? But, that you know, girls are dying younger every day now. <laughs> you know, I saw a gray hair Six at like year old 12 years old. Blonde. And yeah, absolutely. She's... Because <laughs> it's a depressing glimpse into life in California in the late 1990s. Seriously. Uh, speaking of a depressing glimpse, we now see Dr. Becker doing late night science in the hospital and then get a cute beat. I love this of Cordelia bringing Xander the coffee and the snack mm-hmm. without a single word. Yeah. It's great relationship stuff. Buffy, though, isn't resting. She's trailing Dr. Becker as he goes to the children's ward. He adds a little something to a child's IV and hears a chuckle behind him. He turns and is suddenly attacked by an invisible assailant. He's murdered right in front of the children and then thrown out into the hallway right past Buffy, who is knocked to the ground as Dr. Becker is pulled down the hallway by the unseen foe. Aha. So it's probably not him then. It probably wasn't probably him. Probably not. That was, that was... How much more fun would it be right now, though? Though, if this was the point, okay, not to go back to that, but if Buffy had been doubting herself, had been doubting her her yeah. ability to fight, her ability to do all this stuff, and if at this point she sees, she knows she's right, and she gets that will back, yeah, um, this would have been such a great moment for that. Yeah, th- mm-hmm. that it's a restoration of of her identity, of her faith right. in herself, of mm-hmm. the necessity of of fighting these battles mm-hmm. uh, that only she can fight. The next morning, Buffy is in her room when the Scoobies arrive. Buffy tells them that Becker is dead and that he wasn't the monster. For once, the Sunnydale Press not bringing that news to the good folks of Sunnydale. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Becker is dead and not the monster. He died Headline. like 15 minutes ago. Yes. We have the print edition of our newspaper in your hands by now. Giles takes the crayon drawing that Ryan did of the monster and mm-hmm. begins putting the pieces together. <laughs> Though this is my absolute favorite moment in the entire right. episode. The Cordelia line aside, this is my favorite mm-hmm. moment. He takes the crayon drawing. We have this long beat. And he turns to Buffy and said, this is your work. <laughs> There's so much this gorgeous characterization happening mm-hmm. in the background of this episode, and it's all put to no purpose whatsoever. Yeah. It's an incredibly frustrating thing. Uh, but then Joyce shows up. It's time for Buffy to go home, but Buffy needs to stay, so she feigns ooginess. And Joyce decides that that's good enough. She'll talk to the doctor. Because I guess Joyce gets to decide who stays in hospital. No, no, she doesn't. Oh, you're she feeling oogie, you say? You're feeling well, oogie. Well, yeah. As we know, bed capacity in Sunnydale far outstrips the entire population. So I guess this bed would just be empty if you weren't here. And so. if your insurance will pay for it, sure, give sure. another night. Buffy disca- uh, dispatches the Scoobies to research and investigate. Xander insists that Cordelia accompanies Giles rather than staying in the hospital. And Giles' tactless objection <laughs> is yet another point in Cordelia's favor. Yet another uh, another emphasis on her awesomeness. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and kind of makes us question, you know, it's a nice echo of, you know, Giles' remark about tact earlier in the episode. Mm-hmm. But it's also kind of out of character for Giles. Yeah. Why do I have to get, you know? Oh, right. It's a little... It's but, a you little know, weird. at the same time, like, I, I like seeing Giles in those moments where he he starts to act like the kids a little bit. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so it's it's kind of fun to see him out of character. But yes, I completely agree. It's not at all... He must love those moments at the end of the day when he gets to go home, Mm -hmm. close his door, pour a scotch, and not listen to teenagers for a while. Seriously. That must be, like, the best thing. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Though I'm sure that's true of everyone who works in high school. Everyone who works in high school, I'm certain, yes. Later that day, Ryan peeks out of his room and sees the security guard, Willow, and Buffy sneak into Becker's office. Willow is uncomfortable about the belongings of the recently deceased, but Buffy is more thoughtful. Another person she wasn't in time to save. It's too bad Angel didn't hospitalize her sooner. Buffy's guilt really taking us in unexpected directions here. Okay. Though at least she herself acknowledges it. 
Yeah. No, it's it's crazy. I sympathize with that. I know reality is no defense for fiction, <laughs> but like I have I have done that sort of thing yeah. just so I could take responsibility for things that were not my fault before. So like I, I sympathize with it. I, I still think it's it's really crazy. It's and also that, you know, Angel didn't exactly put her in the hospital. It was her sickness that put her in the hospital. So. Well, though we're reminded of those fractures. Yeah. It, it's it's strange. Yeah. It's it's part of the kind of somewhat stumbly Mm-hmm. Uh, set up to this episode yeah. that, that we don't we don't need angel right there in the cold mm-hmm. open in fact having angel there in the cold open kind of undercuts his appearance at the hospital later yeah um mm-hmm. but i guess we have to establish that he's a legitimate threat for those people who are watching week to week this is somebody's first episode of buffy right. those poor people somewhere in the world there's someone who says no that show is dumb yes there was just a freddy krueger looking this guy is the in first episode yeah. they saw yeah uh Willow discovers that Backer was conducting experimental trials on the kids, but the the trials themselves were promising until Backer died. Mm-hmm. Cordelia interrupts Giles' research, meanwhile, in the library with questions about the various demons. It's a really sweet scene. He is despairing of finding more information, but the image on the front of Cordelia's book sure looks familiar. Cordelia calls Buffy, again, getting another great sequence. Mm-hmm. I love this exchange. This is the... Um, <laughs> I actually noted the, the dialogue here. She calls Buffy up with news... Uh, about their discovery mm-hmm. and she says on the phone it's called Der Kinderstadt and Buffy says who is this? <laughs> and it's such a simple exchange I just adore it I just adore there's no way that Charisma Carpenter isn't the, the MVP of this episode uh, uh, as most of them yeah rapidly becoming my favorite thing about this season as a whole uh, so we learn that the monster is indeed called Der Kinderstadt Buffy would rather be talking to Giles but Cordelia has the intel she needs the creature feeds off children by sucking the life out of them Backer was healing the children depriving the creature of food and so was killed Cordelia leaves grossed out by the images of Der Kinderstadt's victims Giles gives the outline it sits on top of the victim and draws out the life buffy is mid-flashback though celia didn't die peacefully we learn she was fighting an invisible creature screaming all the while buffy is knocked catatonic by the revelation and willow hangs up on giles without a word of explanation (laughs) giles presumably wondering what the hell is going on giles has been talking to teenagers for a long time on the phone this is not the first time he's been hung up on (laughs) buffy needs to fight the creature but she can't see it she needs the fever oh god this is so (laughs) awful it really is. Oh, I hate this part. Let's just move through it as quickly All as right, possible. Let's do they it. return to Backer's office. They take a vial from the fridge. Ah! Buffy is about to drink it down because I don't know she's new in the world. But Willow <laughs> tells her about the concept of proper dosage. She drinks it. You gotta wonder. Does Buffy just. Yeah, she's feeling a little oogie, so she just downs an entire bottle of NyQuil and passes out for three days. Has she just never learned that there are quantities of things that are appropriate? Maybe. Yes. I also love that Willow measures out this proper dosage. Based on, you know, normal human physiology. Well, didn't she, like, read up on his research or something? Yeah, no, she, so she, she has, has the notes some there, which is perfectly fine. Right, yeah. But she's assuming that Buffy's system mm-hmm. is going to process this thing. The same way that everybody else's when system would? Apparently yeah. what happens is Buffy gets much, much sicker than normal people, yeah. but for a much shorter period of time, <laughs> right. which is kind of a, you know, damned if you do, it damned if you don't situation. Yeah. Buffy drinks the diluted contents Ugh. of the test tube, and we cut to the hallway outside the children's ward. Buffy is already staggering, but something far worse is coming. The children have gone. 
We cut to the kids, running through the maintenance tunnels beneath the hospital. As Buffy's condition worsens outside the ward, Der Kinderstod comes into view in the kids' room. Actually, a pretty great visual effect, this yeah. kind of rippling effect as Buffy begins to see mm-hmm. it, as she becomes more and more delirious. It chuckles at Buffy, doffs its hat, and leaves through the basement access door, which is in the children's ward, Jesus who designed this hospital. <laughs> Let's keep the kids in the room with the door right. that leads to the maintenance tunnels under the hospital. Well, the guy who made the hospital has been sued a number of times, and we'll <laughs> deal with him as a red herring in a future episode. It's it's just bewildering. I cannot figure out who thought that was who yeah. thought that was a good idea. Yeah. I mean, I appreciate. Okay, get the kids in the basement. That's interesting. We give Ryan some agency. He's showing some leadership with the kids. We don't care about him, but that's mm-hmm. fine. The basement is certainly a more interesting environment for the final showdown than the children's board, and you don't have to deal with the possibility of you know a flying Buffy being hurled through the air and crashing into an eight year old, you know, crushing every bone in their body. Um, but having the access door right there yeah. is just. I love Sunnydale. (laughs) In the corridor, Buffy is interrupted by the doctor. She runs, but the doctor calls security, who exhibit in this moment more professional aptitude and competence (laughs) than the entire police department of Sunnydale, because they actually find the people they're looking for immediately (laughs) and manage to successfully apprehend them. Absolutely. It's it's a brilliant moment. Willie Garson shouldn't just be in the police department. He should be running the thing. Willow stages a distraction, though, (laughs) hearkening back to her her frog phobia. Right. Uh, She brushes imaginary frogs off of her clothing while Buffy runs, but she's feverish and dizzy. Luckily, she finds Xander. Der Kinderstadt stalks the children through the basement, seizing Ryan and lifting him into the air. Buffy and Xander enter the basement as Ryan cries out. Der Kinderstadt throws the boy to the floor, but as he prepares to feed, and weird mouths come out of his eyes because seriously, what the (laughs) hell? Buffy attacks him. She's not at her best, but she distracts him enough that Xander can rescue the children and get them out of the basement. Xander returns to see Buffy fighting empty air, which is a really great mm-hmm. beat. I love that moment from Xander's POV. Almost validates the whole thing. Yeah. It's all, you know, we're going to have a lot of fun in Buffy with people seeing invisible things yes. or not seeing invisible things. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly not until much later yes. in the run. <laughs> but this is a great little little glimpse of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just see this, this, what looks like a great, you know, choreographed fight scene in which only one of the participants is visible. And I Mm kind of love that. Der Kinderstadt, though, throws Buffy onto a pipe, stops to retrieve his hat, kneels over Buffy and opens his mouth eyes. Eye mouth. His his gross (laughs) holes. holes. He opens his gross holes is what happens. (laughs) Buffy, though, has a pragmatic solution. She reaches up and breaks his neck with a sharp twist. Was that for you coming off the back of Passion? really uncomfortable and ill-advised no i didn't quite make the connection because we see this kind of killing you know not, not uh, a see, lot no in buffy, we don't we but, don't we see yeah. slaying mm-hmm. we, buffy slays and more often than not you know yeah. there's some kind of mystical effect that removes the remains of whatever right. it is that she kills mm-hmm. now there's just the corpse of an invisible demon hanging out in this basement people are going to be tripping over that for years to come <laughs> There are going to be little little flags around saying tripping ha- invisible tripping yeah, hazard. Yeah, invisible tripping hazard. We don't know what's here, but we're not moving it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It, I didn't really make the connection with <laughs> It has with gross holes. That's all we know. <laughs> no, it's so weird. It's almost the same sound effect. It's mm-hmm. the same kind of sudden end yeah. to a physical set piece, mm-hmm. you know? I, I don't know. I found it I found it weirdly resonant with Angel's yeah. uh, murder of Jenny uh, in Passion. 
No, really I didn't because I think at this point I just didn't care a whole lot. I, I don't think it's purposeful and yeah. I certainly don't think we're supposed to, you know, draw any great conclusions right. from mm-hmm. it. It it was just It just happened to be even yeah. at the end of this ridiculous episode, it mm-hmm. was like, "Oh, wait, are, are you sure that's what you want? Oh, okay. <laughs> is that, is okay. that really what you want to do? Okay, okay sure. Gross yeah. holes in a neck snap. Sure, okay. <laughs> if, if that's the way you want to go. Xander helps Buffy from the basement and we cut suddenly to Buffy's house. She is in bed being tended to by Joyce. We pull back from Buffy to see Xander and Willow are also there relaxing in front of the television. Buffy wants a better sandwich. Crunchy peanut butter. My kind of girl. Yeah, there you go. Willow asks for juice and Xander wants the cheesy chips hidden behind the raisins. (laughs) Joyce brings Buffy a letter from Ryan containing a picture of a triumphant Buffy standing atop the bleeding corpse of Dirk (laughs) Kinderstadt. Not a great artist. I mean, Buffy has some manly looking shoulders in that picture. (laughs) But he gets the point across. And it's a nice beat on which to conclude the episode. And we cut to credits. Mm -hmm. I'm surprised it took us an hour to get through that. First off, um, there's a lot of great stuff in the episode, but it's absolutely overshadowed by this dull, plodding, fairly dumb, and fairly inconsequential Mm -hmm. main plot. Der Kinderstadt doesn't work for me as, as as a villain, as a monster, as a demon. Is there anything in there that you like? Um, you know, I like Cordelia. I no, think no, I, I, I mean know. specifically about Dirk Henderson. Oh, oh about, about the, the monster. That, yeah. No, no, because, and it looks like Freddy Krueger. It looks like a cheap Freddy Krueger. And I understand they had to make it like, you know, 30% different to avoid the copyright violations. <laughs> but, you know, but the eye holes coming out and sucking the life out of people through the, the whole thing is, uh, it just doesn't work for me. And it's not that it's, terrible i mean it's not like oh my god this is just a terrible episode it, it's so like i don't care to such an extreme yeah. about all yeah. of this I'm, I'm not interested it doesn't and i think it's because of that because they don't have any kind of real resonance with what's going on at the moment um it feels like a patch job you know like they shoved a right. few things in there the the scene with angel where angel comes in and xander stands up to him that's really great um you know there are a couple of things in this episode that stand out and that are kind of kind of nice i like cordelia but in all honesty this whole episode just kind of falls apart for me no, it's just not I, interesting i think you've just actually clarified it for me everything mm-hmm. in this episode that relates to or is directly connected to the long form arc mm-hmm. everything that's angel related or or cordelia and xander or giles and jenny mm-hmm. even the joyce stuff right is great mm-hmm. everything that's not that is completely disposable yeah. and and not even particularly completely disposable of course isn't necessarily an indictment of an episode uh bewitched bothered and bewildered is effectively completely disposable there there are no real long-term ramifications that, that spin out of that storyline we're looking at an episodic tv series yeah mm-hmm. the, the the allegation that a particular episode is episodic needn't be you know a condemnation no but, but it's not done is, well yeah it's not it do, it misses opportunities to really kind of explore what's going on with buffy at the moment the monster of the week is poorly executed they've got this faux mystery that's not a mystery because we already know that there's really a demon there got this completely Um, unnecessary flashback structure the the whole flashback thing that we got to explain that she saw her cousin killed by this invisible thing which by the way she was a child at the time so how come she didn't see the monster the only idea that we have that children can see the monster comes from giles it right. seems that it's not the case that children can see the monster it's, it's people that with the flu sick people can see the monster which kind of makes you wonder why this monster is hanging out at the hospital mm. instead of hanging out at like an elementary because school. it doesn't need sick children it just needs children yes. 
So, so it hangs out yeah. in the only place where it and can be seen. And at what point are anyone. you no longer a child? Because well. Bonnie's like <laughs> seventeen, you know. So technically, legally, she no, can't that, vote that, yet. You know, that's interesting. I, I don't know if an adult had the flu, would an adult be able to see the I, monster too? And this is the thing: none of it makes any no. sense. None of it stands up, and none of it. I don't matters. believe for a moment that Giles wouldn't have faith in and Buffy. I don't believe that let's you know, be clear. he would I mean, doubt her ability to see. I believe that she would doubt her own. I believe yeah. that Cordelia and Xander and Willow would be like, eh, you know. Um, well, I don't know. I, th- I think they handle Giles's doubt as well as they can, which is there may he kind of concedes that there may be nothing here, but we're going yeah. to investigate anyway. Mm-hmm. His problem in that first instance is just, I don't know where to start. Right. I, I mm-hmm. don't know. I don't have a, a reference point for this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, more than, well, I don't think we should research because Buffy's clearly delirious. Clearly insane. delirious, right. Um, no, Giles, I think, comes out of this episode fairly well. Uh, yeah. For me, though, the, the we're talking about an episode in which Buffy is laid low. Mm-hmm. Clearly, we're led to believe, you know, through Joyce's line, if nothing else, she never gets sick. She never gets sick. We are clearly supposed to see Buffy as defeated. You know, she's uh, Angel's depredations, mm-hmm. either against her or against Jenny, have taken their toll. And let's not forget, you know, the, the magic shop owner guy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all the other victims of, of Angel's evil. Mm-hmm. We want to see Buffy really on the back foot. We want to see her, you know, pick herself up and, and mm-hmm. kind of rededicate herself to the cause. And we're also talking about a monster that is killing children in a hospital. Yeah. That shouldn't be something disposable. That shouldn't be something that you can treat lightly. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, the main plot is just, there's nothing there. It doesn't hold together well. It's, yeah. And and I just, I don't care. There's nothing no. anchoring me in this episode. And, and part of it is that it suffers coming off of passion. Is that you come off of this incredibly strong, incredibly, um, you know, like integrated episode. And then it's, it's fine to have an episodic, you know, kind of standalone monster of the week. But the opportunities here to explore what Buffy's going through at this particular moment, which is a big deal. Yeah, yeah. Um it's it's completely missed and it feels like just kind of a lazily written script. You're right that it's bad coming out of passion though I think even if you switched it with an equivalent kind of episode say mm-hmm. phases. Yeah. Um it would it would fare just as badly in that mm-hmm. slot. I, no, it, it would. It's just even worse coming yeah. off of of yeah. passions. Yeah. Or passion. That's passions sad. is a bad soap opera. That's a different thing. <laughs> no, we're just all about the passion. Mm-hmm. Uh that said, the short game stuff is so good some of my favorite lines of the there's okay a lot of it is is disposable there are occasional moments but i wouldn't say that every scene in this uh in this episode is good there are a few short game moments that are good but overall the short game is kind of just as lacking as the the short game that's not associated with the plot right Mm -hmm. all the stuff that connects with the long-running arcs of buffy Mm -hmm. i think pretty much all of it works and and i know that people will take us to task on the forum if we don't mention this we actually get a scene of joyce i i hesitate to say it being a good mother she cares for buffy right there at the end of the episode no she does and she takes care of you know willow and xander and you know and brings them food and, and, and snacks and, and full stuff. credit to joyce for that well okay should we okay no nah, i can't talk about joyce i just can't <laughs> i can't we're gonna have a lot more to say this is, about this joyce. is the kind of thing where it's like oh do you get an award for doing what you're supposed to do and no. not being completely awful <laughs> by the standards do, of joyce, do we yes, give I'm joyce a cookie for being decent <laughs> we you don't know? give her a cookie for being decent we give her a cookie for being most improved mother for being not <laughs> well done. not You've actively adequate. <laughs> awful and damaging her daughter okay 
in this not moment. for nothing though she shows up what she has three scenes in, yes. in this episode she has the scene with giles at the nurse's station she mm-hmm. has the scene in buffy's room and then the scene at the end yes. this is the best joyce that we've had in terms of in terms of her mothering role she yeah. is the best mother that she has ever been within the bounds of this episode. Right. Low bar, but yeah. Okay, Low fair bar enough. if you compare it to what else we've seen. Mm-hmm. But if this is your first exposure to Joyce, I think you'd be completely happy with her as a mother. Yeah, as a human not, being. She's not terribly objectionable she in Giles this. Yeah. Is, is really no, good, that's, I think. And it shows, yeah, a, a, an ability to empathize, which we haven't seen from her with regard to Buffy ever. So, yeah, I, you know, I don't know. I, and I also feel like Joyce is not written... In a consistent way to understand, like, no, I don't think that people are right. deliberately writing Joyce to be terrible. So when they fail to write her as terrible, um, you know, it's 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 a nice break from the usual <laughs> right. emotional torment that no, that's she, exactly she it. does. Yeah. You deserve recognition for failing to screw up this week. <laughs> for failing to screw up Joyce, yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, we also glided over the the wonderful little scene where we talk about playing Doctor. Uh, yeah. This Great series of interactions, each one of which builds on the previous interaction. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just love it. You know, Willow talking about playing Doctor. Xander kind of uh, framing that with, no, we were actually playing Doctor. Mm-hmm. Buffy saying that she's never played Doctor. And then we conclude it with Cordelia's brilliant little, <clears throat> this little beat of skepticism <laughs> that Buffy never played Doctor yeah. with a boy. Mm-hmm. It's so great. There are moments in this episode that I think really do stand out but they are tiny 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 little moments Mm -hmm. and even then fairly inconsequential yeah we don't actually advance a plot here Mm -hmm. we just kind of let the plots that we have burn you know we we just keep the pressure on we keep that low heat under them under angel under giles Mm -hmm. and jenny under xander and cordelia under all these reference I don't know that we're keeping any fires burning in this. I mean, oh, no, the Angel Jenny stuff. is there. The Jenny stuff is referenced briefly in that one interaction with Giles and Joyce. And that's it. I mean, is there any other mention of Jenny? Is there any other? Well, no, but that's know? that's the low heat that I'm talking about. Nah. <laughs> eh? <laughs> no, I mean, I don't think it does. I don't think it does much for... No, well, the, this, this is know, what I'm saying. For keeping, for keeping those things going. I mean, he has just lost Jenny, but we're not spending. We're 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 at least not being so cold as to completely not mention it. But it's it's a casual nod toward it rather than anything that's actually developing. You know. No, would this episode have been better if we'd thrown out the entire premise of the episode and and written an episode about Giles dealing with the consequences of Jenny's death? Absolutely, or, a thousand percent. Or yes. worked with what was in the episode and made it thematically punchy. Sure, gave it could... gave it something. Give an emotional moment for Buffy. You know? All of which is there. This idea that you can't fight death. This idea that yeah, that this Buffy idea is, that she is, wants to she wants yeah. something she can fight and the the self doubt yeah. her her you know and and playing if you open with with angel then end with angel then give us something that that kind of bookends that and shows that this is about her ability to take on angel there's a whole bunch of stuff that you can do here none of which was done and uh, honestly like no is it the worst episode that's ever been written absolutely not but it is for me the most meh episode of buffy yeah, yeah. um and for me honestly i I hate the meh episodes, the ones now, that I can't be bothered to care about more than the ones that I at least enjoy hating. I can I can entirely see that. I could watch this episode again and and kind of scrub through the Kinderstadt parts mm-hmm. because because I find the, the little moments to be just so satisfying and so rewarding. I lo- I could watch every line that Cordelia yeah. delivers in this episode is, is perfect. They're okay. Xander gets some great <laughs> moments. Joyce gets some great moments. Everything, yeah. for me, everything that's not that main plot really 
works. It doesn't have the weight. You're absolutely mm-hmm. right, but that's because it's not the main plot. You know? But I mean, even the stuff that's good, it's okay. And I mean, given you know what it's surrounded by, it definitely shines a little brighter oh, um, I, no, by I comparison. See, but I don't, I don't think, that's I don't think that the the good moments in this episode compare to the really good moments in you know the similar no. moments in other episodes. I think that this is a I weak episode all around. The playing doctor beat. I mm-hmm. think the tact is just not saying things that are true. Beat the the wordless exchange when when Cordelia brings Xander that snack uh, and the coffee when he's sitting his vigil and and the the emotional intensity that that implies between the two of them that those moments would be great in any episode they would stand out in passion as being great well realized well written character moments eh. <laughs> <laughs> trying to figure out how I can spell that sound that you make eh. to make that the episode title I'm not eh. sure that I can do it we'll, we'll, we'll get to it. So, all right, there's going to be a fight, ladies and gentlemen. Let's put this on our big list of every Buffy episode ever. Before we get to that, let me just say there will not, for obvious reasons, be a spoiler zone after this episode. This episode has no lingering consequence. It's inconsequential. There's nothing here. It has no ongoing interest. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so there will be nothing after the music this week. The only thing that we we did want to mention in a kind of slightly spoilery capacity mm-hmm. is that this is the only time that Buffy is afflicted by an entirely natural illness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Apart from that, nah. there's really not much to look at. And I guess some slight foreshadowing that this is not the last invisible thing that we will see. Yes, in yes, Buffy, yes. Or the last invisible Although thing I that think we won't see anybody, again. Anybody who has watched any paranormal shows ever, I think the, the idea that there will be something invisible eventually is not much of a spoiler. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I will say, you know, credit where credit is due. The that moment of of Xander looking on as Buffy battles mm-hmm. the invi- oh, also the scene of Doctor Backer being dragged down the hallway, right by the invisible thing. Yeah, those actually work really well. That is not an easy thing to do on a network budget in mm-hmm. the late 1990s, and, yeah. and I think those work really well. Unfortunately, the payoff for that is that we have Freddy Krueger wandering around with gross holes for <laughs> most of the episode. <laughs> <laughs> the special effects are not so great, yeah. unfortunately. Yeah. I think that's the same special effect. The, the little eye tentacles is the same special effect as they used on the tendrils from the bizarre egg back in Bad Eggs. Oh, no, those aren't the same thing, is no, it? No, it, it, it's the same special effect. It's this soft gelatinous thing. Oh, right. Atta- they start with it attached and then they run the film backward to make it look like it's coming out. Oh, is that how they do that? Back. Uh, that's my guess. Oh, it wow. certainly looks like that. Yeah, maybe. Because there's a little bit of like weird physicality when it attaches. Oh, and, the like, suction thing. Yeah, 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 interesting. Yeah, so I think it's the same kind of gelatinous material. Ah, very <laughs> somewhere, clever. Somewhere they have a box of, of <laughs> just really gross stuff. Um, so let's talk about where this episode goes on the okay. list. All right, okay. go for it. Give me your pitch here. Um, I put it below Ted, but above the movie. I put it absolutely like at the bottom of the TV show, simply because it is, and for me, this is just, it's it's not terrible it's not actively bad actively bad is more interesting than this kind of you know and i just eh, you know i just (laughs) i i don't care the stuff that's good is okay but it's not like you know earth shaking i don't enjoy the good stuff as much as you do in this episode i don't think it's that great um it's it's okay um i do like the scene with xander and angel i do like the fact that joyce is not actively doing emotional damage to her daughter in this episode so yay joyce you get a cookie um but honestly i would put it at number 27 i would put it under ted as far as like do i want to watch it again i would watch ted again every day for a week before i would like willingly like choose to watch this episode again i just am not interested in it i don't know 
<laughs> I, I don't know what to do. Well, I don't that. hate Ted quite as much as you do either. So well, I mean, our, you know, I mean, I agree. It's it's that's that's a low episode. <laughs> okay, but. I think basically what we're what we're coming to here is is your assertion that Matt is worse than bad. Yes. Um, and I I can't get on board with that because okay. we're not we're not grading what's the most interesting episode of Buffy we're not grading you know but uh, it's would you want to watch it again I mean that's a well, big that, part that's of one the of the metrics why. but that's overwhelming metrics, badness yeah. it has to be taken into consideration no, Ted, badness is better than Matt at least you're trying to do something at least you're no, taking this, a full swing this episode is taking a full I, I, I think Ted is a bad example I don't think that Ted works like this episode the equivalent episode that i was looking at yeah. that, that actually feels a lot like killed by death is the aforementioned bad x mm-hmm. it feels like there's some good stuff there's mm-hmm. some some of the short form stuff is is interesting but as a whole the episode doesn't hang together it doesn't work it doesn't go anywhere and the central thesis of the episode is muddied to the point of absolute obscurity yeah. you know in bad eggs we have this whole thesis about motherhood mm-hmm. about you know the protective instinct of the mother yeah. and they screw it up so badly they muddy it so badly that it comes out as as completely incomprehensible mm-hmm. and there's the similar thing happening in killed by death we have some kind of thesis about death, some kind of thesis about, you know, what we are able to fight and what we are not. Mm-hmm. But it's so poorly handled and so internally inconsistent. Right. And honestly, it feels as though everyone involved was so uninterested in it mm-hmm. that it comes out just just a mess, just yeah. a, a gloopy you mess. You know why they're the uninterested? The I do because, know why they're eh. uninterested. Yeah. Yes, I know, because <laughs> eh. However... If we had a list of the eh-ist episodes of Buffy, I think it would be number one with a bullet. Okay. But we don't have that list. And I think that... I, I do like the good parts of Killed by Death, I think, a little more than you do. But mm-hmm. honestly, honestly, there's nothing in Ted that's as good as Joyce being a decent mother for a second. There's nothing in Ted that's as good as Xander and Angel showing up. Uh, nothing that's even remotely as good as that. That is that is a great pivotal scene for Xander's development and for our understanding of Angel as a threat. I get that it's only maybe, what, 35, 40 seconds? Mm-hmm. But it's a great scene. It is one of the great season two scenes. And I think that simply having that, yes, the main plot is terrible. Yes, the main plot is entirely disposable. Mm-hmm. But if you're looking at this as 44 minutes of television, I think those high points have to elevate it above something completely irredeemable like Ted, like... I yeah. Robot Eugene. I, I I know we disagree about Ted. Mm-hmm. Look at some of the other ones that are down there, though. I Robot Eugene, Teacher's Pet. Would you rather watch Teacher's Pet than Again, this? before this? Yeah. But here's the thing. I care so little about this episode that I'll <laughs> give it to you. You can put it below Bad Eggs, and I'll be like, all right. Okay, so I'm thinking number two, right between Passion and What's My Line Part 1 and 2. Oh, you're cute. <laughs> you're cute. Um, no, I mean, I'll give you I'll give you 23rd on the list. I'll give you, or um, 22nd on the list. No, no, I, I think it's worse than Bad Eggs. I think it's worse oh, than... I think it's worse than Phases. I think it's worse than Phases. Um, I think it's Inca worse than Inca Mummy Girl. Girl. Is there anything in Inca Mummy Girl that's good? I mean, Jonathan phases. shows up for the first time in Inca Mummy Girl. Oz <laughs> shows up for the first time in Inca Mummy Girl. Um, yeah, but that's I think even Oz alone elevates Inca Mummy Girl above. No, that's even less. There's no Oz in Killed by Death. That means instantly. instantly Where win. is Oz in the back half of this season? He's established as a major character, and then well, just he's you know he's got this whole werewolf thing going on. Um, I I would be happy putting it anywhere between kind of bad eggs and. I think it's better than Teacher's Pet. Teacher's Pet is the one I'll, I'll definitively say Killed by Death is better than okay. Teacher's Pet. I'll give you um, that. Is it better than Inca Mummy Girl? You feel that it isn't because of Oz? 
I feel that it isn't because of... Ugh. <laughs> okay, I don't know if I've expressed myself. I tend to be really it's, timid it's, with my opinions, so I understand. It's the sound episode of Dustin. Um, okay, I, I'm good. Okay. Putting it under Income Mummy Girl, I okay. think, is... Because that's still... Because for me, Teacher's Pet is the breaking point between... Yeah. Between like tolerable Buffy and actively antagonistic, <laughs> really genuinely bad Buffy. Um, right. I think that I think that Killed by Death scrapes through on the strength of its high points, but Teacher's Pet, I Robot Eugene, and Ted are for me okay. at least they're they're just they're provocatively I'll give it purposefully to you. bad. Would watch them all again before this one. Part of that also may be the drinking of the vial of, ugh, you know, and I just can't. Yeah, that's a weird that's beat so, too. It's just such a bad, like, I, I hate that kind of stuff. That grosses me out. I hate food challenges on Survivor. I hate, <laughs> you know, like this kind of, like, I hate when people eat gross stuff that does not appeal to me. Yeah, and in this so. actual poison. Right? Yeah, like yeah. Your, your actual liquid it's disease. It's just so gross, um, yeah. Would you argue for Teacher's Pet ahead of this? No, I mean, when it comes right down to it, I'd put Killed by Death at the bottom. So I'm happy to compromise with you and put it above Teacher's Pet. I would watch Teacher's Pet. I would watch I Row About You, Jane. I would watch Ted all before I chose to watch this one. So for me, it's down at the bottom. But I am happy to, like, (laughs) compromise with you a little bit to realize that, you know, my very subjective opinion is not necessarily, you know, the the whole thing. I'm I'm flexible. I do yoga. I'm flexible. All right, let's put it between Income Mummy Girl and, and Teacher's All right, Pet. Fair enough. Um, that's where I, I might put it above Income Mummy Girl, but I see your points about about Oz and Jonathan. Um, it, it's a, it's a really troublesome episode. Luckily, though, mm-hmm. it's the last one we're going to have to deal with until the week after next. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that's going to be a conver- then we will have a conversation. That is going to be a discussion the about the, the race to the bottom. But yeah, next week mm-hmm. we get to talk about I only have eyes for you. Oh one my of God. the least conventional episodes of Buffy. Oh my God. A really God. bold narrative choice. Yeah. Uh, there's a ton of stuff in there to talk about and a ton of stuff in there to celebrate. One of my favorites it's of the whole yeah. series. I think this is one of the episodes that when I saw it, I really saw Buffy as like a very serious, serious storytelling. You know? Next week then, I mm-hmm. only have eyes for you. If you have thoughts on Killed by Death, I can't imagine that you do, but if you do... Oh, somebody does. Somebody's going to yell at us. You can email <laughs> podcast at storywonk.com. You can find us on Twitter at storywonk, or you can stop by the forum, forum.storywonk.com. If you want us to cover more episodes of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, if you would like us to produce more podcasts to keep you entertained on your commute or while you are doing the laundry or whatever it is that you're doing while you listen to my voice right now, then you can support us by visiting our Patreon page patreon.com slash storywonk that is p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash storywonk we are grateful and highly appreciative of every dollar that you guys can send to us to help us do this crazy thing (laughs) that we do next week I only have eyes for you the week after that go fish and then we round out season two in grand style with becoming part one and two I'll still be crying when we record the podcast that is going to be quite yeah. a show oh. oh I should say too a little programming note the week after Becoming we are going to release a season two review mm-hmm. uh, we're going to look back at season two in its entirety and somewhat belatedly season one in its entirety <laughs> we're going to talk about all the episodes about the arc about where we think uh, the show has done exceptional work and mm-hmm. where it has stumbled if indeed it has stumbled anywhere at all 
It's going to be a really interesting discussion. If you have thoughts for that season two wrap-up show, let us have them well in advance. And you can also take part in the show by calling our rarely advertised voicemail line, (laughs) 252-505-WONK. That is 252-505-9665. Get in touch and let us know what you think about season two as a whole. What are your high points? What are your personal low points? Do you cry in Becoming? Do you cry in Passion? Do you cry in What's My Line? Do you cry in every episode? <laughs> if you cry in, in Killed by Death, then... No, I, I would understand crying in Killed by Death. <laughs> it's a different kind of it's crying. It's a different kind of it's, crying. It's a different kind of emotional response. <laughs> uh, if you have thoughts about the highs and the lows of season two, then call that voicemail line, 252-505-9665, and we will play your thoughts on that season two wrap-up podcast, which is coming in, what is that, four weeks from now. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a lot of fun. That's Guys, be a good time. thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for your support. If you enjoy what we do here at Story Wonk, then hey, why not tell a friend? But definitely come back next week for I Only Have Eyes for You. Until then, I'm Alistair Stevens. And I'm Lonnie Diane Rich. And this is Dusted. <laughs>